You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Kia ora, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, an amazing service. What a tremendous time of baptizing people, having uh, incredible worship, and uh, such an honor for me and my family to be here today and just to be able to share the Word of God with you. Uh, this has been our home our spiritual home for the last 23 years. And uh, we just love coming to this church. We've just seen God move over the last 23 odd years and uh, God has got so much more in store for us. And so I'm really excited. We're just so thrilled with the leadership of, of Steve and Bex and, and just their vision for the future. And I just wanna say to you, you know, every time I come to church, it's my favorite time of the week. And every Sunday, I just fall more and more in love with Jesus. You know, he's my motivation in life. He's the most important person in my life. And uh, it's just so awesome to be in the presence of God. So I want to let you know, um, my wife and I had to decline our invitations to the coronation. Um, uh, so, um, you know, I mean, who wants to go and see the King of England when you can come to the King of Kings? Uh, come on, man. <laughs> the, uh, but uh, we're going to see Charles next month. We're going to be across in England and we're going to say hi to him there. So he was okay with that. Just joking, okay. I'm not preaching now, I'm telling, uh, no, I'm preaching now, I'm not telling the truth, whatever, one of the two. Anyway, uh, just uh, this morning, I'd just like to spend a little, part, a little time talking about one of my heroes of the Old Testament, and uh, there's so many of them, and, and when I kind of got this topic, I was like, where do I start? And, uh, but there's someone that I, I really uh, just am so inspired by, and hopefully you'll be inspired by some of his story today, and it's uh, a man by the name of Jonathan, and I've called him the ordinary hero. An ordinary hero. If you look through the Old Testament, you, almost every hero of the Old Testament was actually a, quite an ordinary person. They weren't superstars. They weren't spiritually, you know, superstars in any way. But God used ordinary people to do incredibly extraordinary things. You know, growing up in my teens, um, I, uh, my main focus in life was cricket. I love cricket. I know Steve's a cricket fan, and I'm sure there's at least five of us cricket fans here today. And, uh, you know, I love cricket. And uh, I, I, my goal in life, my dream was to become a professional cricket player. My, I was, um, in my teens, I was going to uh, become a professional player. I was going to play in South Africa for six months of the year, and then the other six months go play county cricket in England. And that was what I was going to do. When I, whenever teachers or, and, and other people asked me what I was going to do, I'm going to be a professional cricket player. And around 16 years of age, I went to a specialized uh, cricket coaching course. Uh, and um, there were a number of people, uh, young guys of my age there with similar dreams to me. And when I got there and I saw how good these guys were, I was absolutely devastated. I knew that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And that these guys were just so much better than me. In fact, uh, one of them, Brian Whitfield, went on to play for South Africa. Two of them, Chris and Robin Smith, went on to play for England uh, at international level. And so my dream was destroyed. This hope that I had when I got to hang out with these people, they were just so much better than what I was at my dreams. And maybe you've experienced something similar. You know, you, you know, you, you know that you have some gifts, you've got some talents. Uh, you know, maybe you have a dream for your life, but you find yourself in a group of people uh, that seem to be more intelligent, better singers or musicians, better at sports, better in business, better looking, better at public speaking, and there's this, you feel intimidated by these, feel that you're not up to it, and you know, perhaps you sense you were designed by God for a purpose on this earth, and I believe every one of us have been. And you know, for some reason, uh, you know, that, 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 that 
purpose in your life has sort of diminished, that goal in your life, when you look at the other people around you and you just feel you just don't have anything to offer, you're just not that great, you just feel very ordinary. And I think Jonathan may have felt a bit like this. Now, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And King Saul was uh, described as an imposing man, a big man, strong man, amazing leader. He literally was a head above all of the people in, his, uh, in, in, in Israel. He was a big man, a tall man, impressive man. And uh, Jonathan's best friend was a guy called David. And I think we've heard about David. David would succeed Saul and become probably the greatest king that Israel's ever had. And uh, he was an amazing man. He was a great soldier. He was a great leader. He was a musician. He was a poet. And his part-time, part he'd go and kill giants. Uh, you know, people loved him so much, they used to sing songs and write songs about him. I mean, he was just an incredible man. You know, it's pretty tough growing up when you've got a dad like that and you've got a best friend like that. You know, and I'm sure that, in the, you know, in the middle of these, these sort of two impressive kings, there was Jonathan. And he had great qualities. Uh, you know, he, he probably could have expected to be uh, handed down the throne. He was hoping to be the successor to his dad. However, the heir became a spare. And he went, and he went on to Oprah and he wrote a book and uh, he complained to the rest of the world about how terrible his life was. No, no, he didn't do that. He was a man of faith. He was a, a different person. Um, but you can imagine him being overwhelmed by the excellence of the people around him. Just thinking, I'm just not up to it. But you know, God had a plan for his life. God had a plan for him. And, you know, I believe that's the case of all our lives. You know, maybe we're overwhelmed a little bit by the excellence of the people around us. Other people who seem to be so much better at what they're doing than us. And we may lose our dream and our hope for the future. But I want to tell you that God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose for your life. And so, you know, you may look at your resources. You may look at your talents and your, your capacity. And you think, God, I, I just don't have it. Well, let's just see what God did with ordinary Jonathan. How did he become a hero? In 1 Samuel 13, the Israelites are at war again and against their perennial opposition to Philistines. And in verse 5, it says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the stand on the seashore. I mean, this is an incredible army arrayed against Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. So there's one was obviously riding the chariot and the other was, was sort of carrying the weapons. And then a, a, an army that was described into the hundreds of thousands of people arrayed against Israel. And so Saul, obviously, having a threat, assembled his army and he managed to rustle up 3,000 people. But then all these 3,000 soldiers, uh, uh, they looked around, they saw the enemy, and 2,004 of them, 2,400 of them deserted. Literally, they either went back to home, um, they, they ran off into the bush or the desert or whatever, and, and some of them literally defected to the Philistine army. They, they're just like, we're not going to fight on your side, mate. You've got no chance. We go into the other side. And so what Saul ended up with was 600 men, and there were only two of them had weapons. Saul and Jonathan were the only ones that had weapons. Each one had a sword and a spear. And the rest of the people, the rest of the army, they had things like uh, plowshares and axes and sickles, and basically they only had their farming tools. So you've got this huge army with all these charioteers and all these highly trained soldiers against Israel, and basically Israel had no chance. 
You know, we talk about the odds are stacked against you. This is, gets to the ridiculous odds. Everything was stacked against them. In the natural, they were in an impossible situation. But Jonathan had some other ideas. Jonathan thought, my, maybe we can trust in our God. Maybe we can do something. And in 1 Samuel um, 14, verse 6, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer, who says, let's go across to the outpost to the pagans. I love the fact that he calls them pagans. I don't think he was just trolling them. I don't think he was just bad-mouthing them. What he was saying is that these guys don't have God on their side. They're pagans. They don't have God on our side. We are children of Israel. We're the children of God. We got God on our side. And God makes all the difference. Let me tell you, you, one person plus God, is always in the majority. It's always, no matter what odds you're facing, no matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what shortfall you have in your life, when you add God to the circumstance and to your situation, things change. The equation completely turns around. And then he goes on to say, Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will help us. Not exactly a confident statement, but perhaps the Lord will help us. Then he goes on to say, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And this comes to my first point today. Faith is acting even when the outcome is uncertain. Faith is acting even when the outcome is uncertain. You know, if you know the outcome of a certain action, if you're going to take action step number one, two, and three, and you know that number four is going to happen, you don't need faith. You don't need it. You know what's going to happen. But when you don't know what the outcome is, you don't know when, what's going to happen if you step out of the boat, you don't know what's going to happen when you try and walk on water, then you know that you need faith. And that is activating our faith, and I believe God is calling us to activate our faith today. Jonathan wasn't certain of the outcome, but he was sure of two things. One is, he knew that he had to do something. He could not let Israel fall into the hands of the Philistines. He had to stand up and do something. And I really believe that each one of us has got something in our heart that we have to do something. There's some holy discontent within us that says, I cannot let this situation continue. I've got to step up. And whether, whatever that may be, that may be starting a small group, that may be uh, 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 getting involved in some sort of ministry, it may be starting a business, it may be uh, looking for uh, uh, another rela- a relationship in your life. Whatever it is, you need to step out because you know that you cannot carry on as you are. And he could not carry, and that was the first thing. The second thing, he knew that nothing can hinder the Lord when people step out in faith. And I really believe there's some of us that have got that in our lives today, in our hearts today. Something that's holding us back because... We're not sure of the outcome. Well, that's where faith comes in. And I just want to say, if you want to step out in faith, I really believe that nothing can hinder the Lord from bringing it to pass. And I love the response from the uh, armor bearer to Jonathan's suggestion. Yeah, I can imagine him thinking, this is a suicide mission, mate. This, you know, I, I'm not sure if I want to carry on working for you. But in verse 7, this is what the armor bearer says. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. I love this, and it brings me to the second point today. Surround yourself with people of faith. Surround yourself with people of faith. You know, there's a saying that says that we become the average of the seven people we spend most of our lives with. Well, if you're going to have seven people around you that are going to influence your life, find people of faith. People who share your faith, your vision, uh, the dreams that you have for for each other. And if you go back to verse 1 of this chapter, it says, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said, to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. He did not tell King Saul. Why did he not tell his father? King Saul, I think, was pretty freaked out. He was pretty afraid. He was hanging back. He he wasn't leading his army at this point in time. He did not have the faith in God that 
that Jonathan had. And I think that he knew that if he spoke to his dad, his dad would have said, listen, mate, you're crazy. You've got no chance. Can't you see the enemy arrayed against us? Can't you see that we've got no chance? You're going to die. You're going to kill yourself. It's not going to happen. Saul would have projected his own fear and lack of faith in God onto his son. And I just want to say, if we're going to step into the plans God has for us, if we're going to fulfill the destiny God has for us, we need to choose our relationships carefully. Jonathan's young armor bearer, and it refers to young armor bearer, had more faith than the king of Israel. I just want to say, you know, sometimes we are impressed or distracted by people of age, of a certain age, or experience, or knowledge. But let me tell you, those things count for nothing if they don't have faith. They can be the most experienced in knowledge and an older person that you know, but if they don't have faith, respect them, but don't let them influence you. Find people of faith, and it may be a young arm bearer that does that for you. They can go into battle with you. So what happened? Well, let's read 1 Samuel 14, 8 to 16. It says, Jonathan said, Come, we will cross over to the, toward the men and let them see us. And if they say, Wait here until we come to you, we will stay where we are and, and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up because that will be the sign <coughs> excuse me, that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Now, first of all, this is a crazy strategy. I was in the army for two years. I was a, an op- operational medic. I was a combat medic. And one of the things you don't do is you expose yourself to the enemy. It's like, hey, guys, yeah, I am. That's recipe for death, okay? Um, you know, if you look at movies, particularly conventional war type movies, you have people covering you. There's like, you know, guys shooting from the side, distracting them before you expose yourself. But they're like, hey, boys, I'm here. Crazy, crazy. But anyway... They knew, they knew something. Okay, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistine. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. They were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, the armor bearer, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. I love just that statement. I mean, he hasn't killed one person yet. He hasn't fought one person, but he was, God has given them into our hand. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. This is another thing. They climbed up a hill to fight a battle. One of the key things in strategies in battle, you want the high ground. You want to be on top. You don't want people coming up to you. They're looking at the sun. They're in a very vulnerable position. They're scrambling up with their hands and knees to fight an army. I mean, everything was against them. But it says that, so they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan. Now, I'm not sure what happened, whether he just sort of stabbed them or they tripped over. I'm not too sure. But anyway, they fell before Jonathan. And this is so cool. I, I love the armor bearer. He's my favorite guy, actually. He, the, his armor bearer killed those who came up behind him. What did the armor bearer kill them with? Like, did he have sheep shears or something? Um, like, did he pick up rocks and bash them over the head? What did he do? But he killed Ben. You know, he didn't have, a, didn't have any weapons. And so he killed them. It was just so awesome. And Sorry, I suppose I shouldn't say. Anyway, they killed some 20 men in all. And their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. And suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. You know, I just think God in heaven was just so, he was like getting so excited. Like, I can't believe, this, this guy is amazing. This Jonathan, wow, look at that armor bearer. Man, he's going for it. And he, God got just so excited. He said, one of his angels, take an earthquake, bro. You go there and you rough, rough things up. You wrestle things up. You cause some chaos there. Because you know what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, we, we, God gets so excited. 
And I just want to say that's what happens. When we step out in faith, God turns up. Saul, it goes on to say, Saul's outpost in Gibeah, Benjamin saw a strange sight, and the vast army of the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. What an incredible outcome. It took an ordinary man who was overlooked and overshadowed by the others in his life, a man who was ridiculously under-resourced, a man who was completely outnumbered, a man with just one friend who was as faithful as him, and a God who cannot be hindered to defeat a mighty army. That's all it takes, folks. That's all it takes. And this brings me to my third point today. Faith stands on the truth more than on the facts. Now, I just want to make an apology to the men in the men's ministry, to my small group, uh, to pretty much anyone who's had a coffee with me over the last six months. This is something I've been preaching over and over and over. So you would have heard it before, but you need to hear it again. So in a world where facts are being distorted on a daily basis by politicians, by the news media, by parents, by corrupt business people, by social media bloggers, unfortunately, even by some pastors and spiritual leaders, the call is stronger than ever to establish the facts of any situation we face. You know, I recently heard Richard Dawkins, the evolutionary biologist, atheist, and author of God Delusion, tell Mike Hoskins on radio that God does not exist because no one has seen him, and you cannot argue against the facts. Well, all due respect to Richard Dawkins, I've never seen the wind, but I've felt it, and I've seen its effect and impact. And it's the same with God. I've never seen him, but I've felt him, and I've seen his impact. I've seen his influence. But secondly, I think that we can safely say that the truth is not always dependent on the facts of a situation. You see, facts can bind us. Facts create a barrier, a, a boundary around us. In Israel's situation, as they looked at the facts, they were bound, they were scared, they were afraid. And the Bible says that the truth, though, will set us free. John 8, verse 31 to 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you see, this is the word of God. This is the, what establishes what is true. The word of God. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. If you are being bound in some way in your life, if you've been bound from achieving everything that God has designed and destined, to you, destined for you, perhaps we are believing what is, uh, that, that, that the truth is the same as the facts, but sometimes the facts and the truth do not line up. Let me give you some examples. The fact is that I'm a flawed and hopeless sinner deserving of hell. But the truth is I'm a sanctified child of God and I have inheritance of eternal life. The fact is that sometimes I'm weak and I'm, and, and I'm insecure and I lack confidence. And the truth is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fact is that we may be like Gideon, the weakest in our family, and our family the weakest in the land. The truth is what, that we are a mighty warrior that can lead God's army into victory. The, the, the fact is that 300 men running around with trumpets and torches cannot defeat an army of 135,000 sol soldiers, but Gideon knew the truth and his army overcame the enemy. The fact is, when I, I don't know about you, I'm getting excited preaching. I hope you're getting excited as well. The fact is, when I look up at myself in the mirror, I see a deeply flawed and average person. The truth is, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of the universe. The fact is, don't clap, I don't have time. The fact is that Jesus was a simple carpenter born to an unwed mother from a backwater place called Nazareth and did nothing special for the first 30 years of his life. The truth is, he was the son of God that would take away the sins of the world. 
The fact is that David was a young shepherd boy. The truth is that he was a giant slayer. The fact is that Elijah saw a valley of dry bones. The truth was that those dry bones were an army of warriors. The fact is that it's impossible to walk on water that's a few meters deep. The truth is that when God calls us and we step out the boat, the impossible becomes the possible. The fact is that five loaves and two fish could only, uh, is only lunch for a young boy, but the truth is that it can feed 5,000 people with 12 baskets left over. The fact is that our children may walk away from God for a season. The truth is they will never stop being a child of God, and God will never give up on them. The fact is the economy, economy may be uncertain, and our finances under pressure. The truth is what King David once said. He said, once I was young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. How powerful is that? What are we going to believe? Yeah, we don't discard the facts. The facts are the facts. Those are, are real. They're true. There's, there's nothing wrong with them. But if we live by the facts, we're going to be bound by the facts. When we live by faith, we're bound by the, the truth of the Word of God and what the Word of God says about our situation and what God said about the situation that, uh, that, that Jonathan found himself in. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says this, So we do not live by sight, by the facts. We live by faith, the truth. If we live by sight, we'll be bound by the things we see around us. We live by faith. We start to live by the truth of the Word of God. See, when God steps into a situation, everything changes. Jonathan knew this, and despite all odds, he overcame the enemy. So what are the facts of your life today? What giants are you facing? What is holding you back? And maybe the worship team can come up. So I want to say, are you experiencing financial troubles today? I want to say that you have a dad who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Are you facing some physical or mental illness? We have a God who heals us through the stripes of Jesus. Do you have stress in your marriage or in other relationships? We have a God who restores broken relationships. Are you unemployed and can't find work? We have a God who opens doors that no man can shut. Are your children not following the Lord? Well, God goes after those lost sheep and he brings them back home. You're struggling with an addiction today. I just want to say we have a chain-breaking God who can destroy the chains of any form of addiction that's holding us. Are your, does it seem like the hopes and dreams for your life are dead and unlikely to come to pass? I want to say God has a plan for your lives. Plan for a hope and a future. So whatever the facts of your life may be today, let's just take these few lessons from the life of Jonathan. Number one, be willing to step out in faith even when we don't know the outcome. Even when the outcome is uncertain. Because that's when our faith becomes the most powerful thing to change the circumstances and situations. Find people of faith who can walk this journey with you. And never let the facts of life stop you from walking in the truth of God. And the truth is, you're not a spare. You may think you're a spare. You may think that you didn't, you didn't make it. You're not making it. You're not the chosen one. You're not a spare, but you're an heir. The, Lord, the Bible says that we are heirs of the Father and co-heirs with the Son. Jesus is our older brother, and we are his, his, his brothers and sisters, and our Father has made us an heir. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, we no longer spare, but an heir, an heir to the God of the universe. So my call out today to you, let's step into the calling 
and destiny that we have in Christ. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your word. And no matter what circumstance we are facing, no matter what situation we are in, God, we can tr put our faith and trust in you because you're the God that can do all things. And Lord, we just want to love you. We just tell you, honor you. Father, give us the courage to step out in faith even when the future is uncertain. Bring those people around us that need to build up our faith to walk the journey with us. And Father, just have us understanding and clarity. And no matter what the circumstances are, you make all the difference. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.